Welcome to the Northern Electric Vehicle Experience. My name is Ron Fisher and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a great little ride. Our listener base is starting to grow. Uh, we have listeners now in Canada, Australia, and the United States. So that's a great thing. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, please uh, like and subscribe and comment uh, if you're of a mind to. Up to this point, we've been doing a lot of the introduction to EVs thing. Um, how to buy an electric car, what's involved in an electric car, you know, how they work a little bit, how, it, how the charging works, uh, a lot of the myths and misconceptions that exist in the electric car world. Um, and the last episode, we, we went into what, what happens if you have to go on a road trip and you need to charge it on the road. It's so scary. Not really. But we covered it off. So you'll know and you can ease your mind into it and make some good choices. This episode is going to cover living with an EV and it'll be the last in the in the beginner uh, EV experience stuff. After this, we're going to get into talking about kind of the news and events that are happening in the EV world, some of the new vehicles and why one thing might be better than the other. And hopefully we'll start getting in some comments from all of you and and we can start responding and, and just understanding these things better. In the real world, living with an EV, well, this spring will be three years for me. So I'd like to say I have a fair bit of experience living with an EV. There's those that uh, go way, way, way back to, you know, the 08s and stuff and, and early Maeves and and early Leafs. And, well, there's even people that drove the, uh, the old EV1 from back in the 90s, 80s, 90s. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting world. It, it is, in a lot of ways, no different than driving a regular car. It really isn't that big a, a paradigm shift in terms of getting in the vehicle, going somewhere. It isn't that big a deal. The vast majority of the drives you do are well within your range limitations. If you think about what you do and where you go every single day, if it's under 400 kilometers, there's just no difference. There just is no difference. In terms of you get in a car, you turn it on, you go somewhere, you do your thing, and you come home. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. That's always been an interesting uh, saying. Don't know why. It amuses my small mind. Um, the, the difference in living with an EV is how they drive and what powers them. There's an environmental side in that if your electricity grid provides um, renewable power, hydro, um, solar, wind, uh, I'm not going to get into the nuclear debate, but at least it doesn't produce CO2s at once operational, but then it produces other problems. And then there's the construction of them, uses produces a lot of CO2s, and they're blooming expensive. I mean ridiculously expensive. They produce a lot of power, but they're ridiculously expensive to build, ridiculously expensive to operate, 
and you got to do something with that nuclear waste for the next million years or so. So somehow I think that's going to become cost prohibitive over time, especially when uh, renewables are actually starting to become more viable. Uh, many places uh, in the U.S. and warmer countries, sunnier countries than Canada, um, are finding solar to be a much more viable option, a much more productive option. Uh, places with good wind, uh, that's becoming a viable option. So there's a lot of green powers out there uh, that are starting to come into the grid. So if your grid provides green power to you or you spend a little bit of extra money to specifically purchase green power, either through your grid operator or or through some other means or put solar panels on your roof, whatever turns your crank. If you're putting green power in the vehicle, then you're driving a fairly green vehicle. It still costs energy to build it. It still created some CO2 to build it, but unless we're not going to have cars, it's always going to take a little CO2 to build something. That said, many manufacturers... Uh, are starting to take into the whole life cycle building process into account. Meaning that um, they want to make sure that when they're building that car, that plant is operating on green power, um, you know, wind or solar or geothermal or whatever um, is operating that plant. Some are going another step further, and they want to make sure that all their suppliers, steel, plastics, uh, wires, motors, batteries, all of them are done to a higher green standard than, than other things may be. So the vehicles themselves are getting greener, and the operating of the vehicle can be very green. You do not have to operate on coal electricity if you do not want to. That said, even if you do, you're still putting out less CO2 than you are in a gas car, no matter what the internet tells you. Ah, but living with an electric car, what is really involved in living with an electric car? So my day goes something like this. Um, when I was commuting, I would wake up in the morning, and go, wake up to the morning, have breakfast, do all that thing. Um, about 10 minutes before I was going to leave, I'd open up the, uh, the Chevrolet app, start my car, get it going while it's plugged in. Wonderful when it's cold or when it's hot. You get the air conditioning running, you get the, the heating running, whatever you need. And it pre-warms your car. Everybody knows that got auto start on cars you've got you know the key fob you can just start it up from in, inside your car many cars will start with an app even if they're combustion cars um, but the difference is when you're commuting you're assuming you're a long distance commuter like i was you want to maximize your range and one of the things that limits your range is climate um, if your car is cold and you need to bring the heaters on to get it up to temperature, then that consumes quite a bit of battery. Not, not ridiculous. Don't go crazy. Okay. Oh, you said it uses all the battery. No, I didn't. I said it uses quite a bit. And that's 
you know, not even a percent, but it is more than you want to consume when you're plugged into your house, right? Every night you're just plugged into your house. Why would you wait until you hit the road to start consuming battery? If you start your car from in your house and you let it come up to internal temperature, it's really nice to get into. And you've also used the house power in order to bring that temperature up, right? Now, in an electric car, something to understand is cabin temperature is one thing. That's what you notice and you feel. But what you don't know is the car is also conditioning the battery. And you'll see on your display in the car that a certain percentage of your battery is used for climate control, certain for driving amount and a certain amount for uh, for battery conditioning. Now, depending on the weather conditions outside, sometimes battery conditioning is nothing. Actually, much of the time it is. But in the winter or the real heat of the summer, there is a battery conditioning component. That's because the battery operates better when it is at an optimal temperature. If it's too hot, doesn't work as well. If it's too cold, it doesn't work as well. And it affects your range. So it uses a little bit of the battery electricity to condition the battery. Long story short, start your car from inside the house before you leave and it'll be nice and comfy inside and you'll get more range. So that's one thing. And it does matter more if you're a long distance commuter. Like I was doing uh, roughly 200-ish, 220 kilometers a day back and forth. Uh, on a 383-kilometer car, that's a significant chunk. Nowhere near the battery. I had tons left over eight, nine months out of the year. But the other three, four months of the year, the colder it got, the less range I had. That's not really scary because I knew I was getting into that. And that's the, the key thing you have to pay attention to. You have to be extremely realistic about what your maximum range is on a regular daily basis. Not, oh, but if I decide I'm going to take a class in downtown Toronto and commute from Sudbury, well, then I'm out of range. That's not happening. You're not doing that. Nobody's doing that. If, in reality, you are a person that drives hundreds of kilometers a day, one, get another job because you drive too much. But it might be your job to drive. So it may make a difference. That said, most people aren't commuting more than an hour each way every day. And many people are commuting far, far less. And it's the distance that matters, not the time. Because in an electric car, unlike a gas car, when you're stopped, it uses almost no power. You don't, quote unquote, idle in an electric car. You may be sitting there with your car on, but you're not actually consuming much or any power. If you're providing heat or air conditioning, you're providing some power, using some power, but not really that much. So there's a distinct difference there between gas and electric. Uh, so anyways, you've started your car, you've pre-started your car, so you get out the door, you go over to your car, and you'll see you're hooked up to the house because you put in a charger like we talked in the previous episode. you got to unhook that charger before you leave. Now, don't freak out. People wonder, 
What if I stay hooked up? Am I going to rip my garage down? No. Your car will not even... Well, no, it'll start with the, the plug-in, but it will not go into gear and drive away. These cars are essentially computers. They're way smarter than your gas car. They cannot drive away with the plug attached. It knows the plug is attached. It's not going anywhere. So don't worry about that. But that said, if you want to go somewhere, unhook your plug, put it back into the charger socket or, or wrap it around the charger, whatever you do, um, and off you go. Now, in my house, um, if I get the garage cleared for the winter, I can actually park inside the garage. But I got lots of crap in my garage, so I mostly park outside my garage. In that case, I have to put my cord under the garage door at night, or I have to put the charger outside on the outside of my house so I can charge every day. But I wanted it inside because I didn't want the charger sitting outside. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm going to clean up the garage. I'm going to put the car in there. Okay, that's fine. I did that. Did it for one year. I did it for two years. But this third year, no, it's been outside all winter. Anyways, what I wanted to mention is these cords are thick. They're about half uh, an inch thick, about a centimeter thick. And there is heavy-duty cable in there, and it's very durable, right? It's a strong cable. It is not it is not very fragile. That said, don't be silly and let your garage door go thump, thump, thump 365 days a year on your charging cable. Find a way to prevent it from being thumped on. What I did was I laid one by one by six boards underneath where my garage door comes down and I left a half inch gap in the one by six boards to pass my wire through because I want to protect the integrity of the wire. It is not, probably not going to break on you, but it is not going to do anything good for your wire. So do something to protect it or mount your, 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 your charger on the outside of the house. It's a very simple solution. Another option is to get an electrician to disconnect the cord, drill a hole through your wall, and just have the wire on the outside of the house well, with the charger on the inside. That's also a doable option. Um, that said, okay, we've gotten to the car, we've unplugged the car, now we want to go somewhere. Going somewhere, that's not all that challenging. You, just like any other car, you get in the car, you put your pedal on the, your pedal on the brake, put your foot on the brake pedal, and you press start doesn't do anything really it's, it's kind of like starting up windows on your computer it makes some swooshy sounds and some music comes on and your display starts doing things but that's all that goes on that tells you your car is now running you don't hear any noise you might hear the fan run if it needs to but there's not much else telling you it's good to go but you know pretty quick what the telltale signs are and you can go so you put it You've started your car, you put it in gear, and off you go. One of the first things you're going to notice is your car's got real get-up-and-go. I mean, lots of get-up-and-go. Your car, if you step, eh, depending on which one you got, but you know, some electric cars are like some other cars, right? Some are got more pep than others. Mine goes like anything. 
I can beat a Camaro at the stoplight. Um, not that I've tried, never done that. Nope, nope, nope. Um, that said, I drive a Chevrolet Bolt. It's a little hatchback. It's got a top speed. And if I want to go flat out like that, I'm going to run out of battery. And you don't want to do that. But if you want a fun drive, yeah, it'll do that. You step on the accelerator. Notice I didn't say gas. You step on the accelerator and you go. Like, I've never been in a car. And I've been in a lot of different cars that went like this car. At least not in the average car. I've never been in Porsches and whatever. But apparently... You know, it's it's in on the order of uh, a lot of sports cars in terms of get up and go. Not the new ver new generation of electric sports cars, not a Tesla, but most other cars, it's way better. You're talking a six second acceleration time, zero to sixty. That's pretty good. That's really good. Anyways, it's fun to drive. You will have no problem accelerating onto the highway and merging. You'll have no problem passing someone. You'll have no problem operating at highway speeds. You'll have no problem uh, stopping and going and all that kind of thing. What's going to be different, though, is A, acceleration. That's fun. That is a real high. Braking, though, is completely different. Yes, you have regular brakes. You have a brake pedal. You know, as I said, step on the brake, turn on your car. It's there. You just don't use it much. In an electric car, there's something called regenerative braking. Fancy word. But all it means is the motor that drives the, the car, when you want it to, can, for all intents and purposes, this isn't really what happens, but turns in reverse, and becomes a generator. Let's just go with that. The real reality is complicated, but you can go look on some YouTube channel, and it'll some scientific guy or engineering guy can explain it to you. But for, for this podcast, it goes in reverse and becomes a generator when you want to stop. It has the advantage of stopping your car, and giving you back your momentum in the form of electricity. In a regular car, you step on the brake and it stops your car and gives you off heat as, you know, it turns the momentum into heat. That's why brakes get hot, they get worn, and they, they have to be replaced. In an electric car, it does no damage to your car to apply regenerative braking. It simply operates in my car it has two regenerative modes the d mode which mimics a regular car so it doesn't really stop the car it'll slow it down and the l mode which is if you take your foot off the accelerator it immediately starts to stop so it's an aggressive slowdown that's what i i live in i live in the l mode it slows me down really quickly i've learned within a in a couple of days at what point to take my foot off the accelerator and it'll stop me right on the line at the light or the stop sign also in the bolt is a really nice feature which is starting to pop up in some other vehicles is a brake paddle paddle it's behind the left side of the steering wheel in the middle 
and you press it and it puts your regenerative braking into overdrive. So it's like a handbrake. So if you're not quite timing your stop right, you can use that and it will brake you a little bit faster, a little bit more aggressively at where you want. So it's almost like stepping on the brake. So 95% of the time, I don't step on the brake. I am regenerative braking and using the paddle. It works perfectly. You don't even think about it anymore. When you first charge up in the morning, your regenerative braking is less effective. That's because it doesn't have anywhere to put the power. So if it tried regenerative braking you, it would have nowhere to put the power and that's problematic. It would damage the battery. So it basically doesn't do it. Um, but that's only for the first kilometer, maybe. And then there's enough uh, room and the regenerative braking starts working better and better and you're good to go. Also, it doesn't affect you. You don't even notice it. If you take your foot off the gas and, or accelerator and you're not braking quick enough, what you do is your brake, just like always, starts to move over to the actual brake and you start to slow down. It does work. That said, I use it so little, I fully expect never to change my brakes in the life of the car. If you've done a brake job or several, you know how valuable that is. It's money in the bank. Okay, so that's how regenerative braking works. Love it. It works really well. I basically drive on one pedal. So you're saving money also on brakes. Also a good feature. Now, you're driving down the road, you can accelerate, you can merge, you can run at highway speed, you get to where you're going. Typically, your workplace right now does not have a place to charge, so you have to have enough charge to get home. When I was commuting, I had tons. I used about a quarter, 30% of my battery to get to work, 100 kilometers, and then I would need another quarter 30 percent to get home depending on the on the weather uh obviously yes in the winter it would be more but eight nine months out of the year quarter 30 percent is good enough so if you're at work and you need to charge we talked about that in the last episode use an app find the nearest charger plug in you only need to plug in for long enough to get you to where you've got to go so if you're you know 50 kilometers short of what you need to get home, plug in for 50 kilometers. I don't mean 50 kilometers short as in uh, after 50 kilometers, you're going to you know stop moving. No, you've got a 50 kilometers short on the low end of your range estimate. What else? Living with an EV. Okay. Now, when you come home, You've driven your day. If you're a long-distance commuter and you can, you only really have enough to go to work and back once, even if you've got a third, 40% of your battery left, I would advise you to plug in when you get home, right? When it gets below half, I plug in. So kind of like your cell phone, you get home, you throw it in the charger, you get home, you plug it in, you go in, you don't think about it. There's an advantage there. Right now, if you're driving a gas car, every so often you have to go to the gas station, pump in fuel, and pay the guy and leave. At home, you plug in the car, you go in. 
You don't think about it. It takes a second and a half. You do have to pay for it. But again, as I said in a previous episode, I, I talked a lot about how much it costs. It's about 20% the cost of your gasoline or electricity in the Canadian, in the Ontario market. And that's about the same everywhere, but it depends on how much is your gas worth, how much is your electricity worth. But in the Ontario market and in most markets, it's 20, 25% uh, or less of the cost of gasoline because some markets uh, have much cheaper electricity and much more expensive gasoline or some are the reverse. You got to know your market. Uh, so you plug in every day. You don't have to think about it. You go to work. You, so you're not going to the gas pump. You do have to, when you're road tripping, of course, plug in. And that is a little inconvenient, but in the grand scheme of things, your convenience is way outweigh that small inconvenience. What else? Okay. Now, as far as maintenance on an electric car goes, there is almost no maintenance uh, for the Chevrolet Bolt. You have to check your fluid, check your brakes. Um, you have to, of course, replace your tires and your windshield wipers and that sort of thing. There, there is no oil changes. There's no belts. There's no, there's a cabin air filter, but there's not much else. So most electric cars have almost no maintenance at all, which is shocking. People think, how is that possible? There's no oil. No, electric cars don't need oil. So... Uh, but there, there are things to repair. Some people think, oh, it's going to destroy all the mechanics jobs. Well, no, because as they get older, they're still going to need suspensions. And I don't know, they always need wheels. They, they need tires. They need, oh, the, the thing that makes the window go up and down broke. So that has to be replaced. The air conditioning stopped working. So that has to be fixed. The door squeaks. So somebody fixed that. My lock broke. Uh, I can't get into my car. Fix that. Got into a car accident. Got to fix that. You know, there's there's still money involved there. There's still an industry there. It's just that whole monthly cycle and the repairs to an overly complex internal combustion engine is not there. People think electric cars are complicated, but they're actually very, very simple. Um, don't quote me on it, but as I understand, there's about 2,000 moving parts in your average internal combustion engine, ICE vehicle. That's what uh, ICE stands for, internal combustion engine. Um, and in an electric car, somewhere around 20 moving parts, including the wheels. So that's not a lot of moving parts. Not a lot of things to go wrong. That said, there is still work for uh, garages and dealerships and things like that. Just less. And more money in your pocket. So it's a win-win. All right, I'm getting near the end of my time. So I'm going to just add on a couple of things here. Uh, some people live in condominiums or apartment buildings that don't have charging. This is challenging. Um, your condo board or your apartment building, you should request that they put them in. If people don't ask, they will not get. Still might not get. But many governments provide incentives for those kind of buildings to put in chargers. So find out what they are. 
and uh, see if your landlord or or condo corp will allow you to put in a charger. Um, for those that have no ability to, to charge at home at all, this is where workplace charging comes in. People think that uh, workplace charging is about extending my range. So basically I charge at home and then I can go and charge at work and come back and back and forth, and back and forth. No, it's, it's more a case of for those that cannot for any reason charge at home, they should be able to charge at work. That's where that comes in. And it does not have to be or, and should not be free. So employers that would like to do a solid for their employees, good uh, employee retention uh, tool, good employee service tool, uh, they'll offer their employees chargers. Their, their level two chargers are not particularly expensive to put in. Um, they do cost money to put in. Again, there's usually incentives from the government to, to put them in. Uh, but it's also a great uh, employee morale booster. Uh, it will unlock probably some of your poorest employees' ability to be able to charge at work and therefore own an electric car, saving them money and improving their lives markedly. So if you're an employer, if you have a workplace, please consider putting electric car chargers. They're good. Another thing. Um, in northern climates where you get snow, if you park outside, you're going to run into trouble with something. And that is because you're plugged in overnight. If you're plugged in, your charging port is open and it snows. Well, if it's fluffy and whatever, not a big deal. Brush it out, close the door, you're good to go. But if it's that packing icy snow, it's a problem. It's an irritating problem. Not an insurmountable problem, but it's irritating. You have to find a way to protect that charge port from the snow. Um, for the first year, I wrapped a towel around it. And in an ice storm, I had to pry my towel off <laughs> my charge port because it got damp and wet and then it froze and iced over and all that. Um and there was always the idea that, oh, I wonder if this is such a great idea. But it, it worked. I just didn't know if it was a good idea. Then I discovered something called the Echo Dome Charge Port Cover. Um, I, Full disclosure, I actually sell those things. So if you want to go to my website, allendaletechnologies.com, you can find them there for most makes and models. As long as your car is something metal to, I mean, magnetic metal to attach to, this thing will work. If it doesn't have a magnetic um, thing like a some Tesla, like the Model 3 it works on, but the Model X and Model S it does not. Um, most other vehicles it does. It, what it is is something that wraps around the charging cable and over the charge port, magnetically attaching itself to the vehicle and giving a nice cover to to keep the snow and crap out of your out of your charge port. Um, as some uh, wise guy on the comments said, well, my gas car, I never had to do that. Mm -hmm. True, you never did. But you also had to stand every week or a couple times a week uh, in all kinds of weather, spending five to ten minutes filling your car. Also not thrilling. But I digress. Um, that's my shameless plug for my company. I sell those things. 
they don't cost a lot of money and they'll last you for years and years and years. And I, one of the reasons I started selling it was, oh my God, somebody invented something really good. And I, I thought it was cool. What else? Um, that's about it right now. Uh, the next episode, we're going to start talking about some of the developments uh, in the in the electric car world where I see the market going. Some of the associations you can belong to, some of the good websites uh, and podcasts that are out there to listen to. So uh, tune in and by all means, please like and subscribe to this uh, podcast. Uh, share it with your friends. If you have, if you know of people that maybe you're already an electric car driver and you don't need all this information, but you know someone who's thinking about it, you know those people that come up to you and say, what about this? Tell them to sign on to the Northern Electric Vehicle Experience podcast and it'll walk them through all the initial questions and then they can come to you. All right. Thank you very much. You have a great week and uh, I hope to see you again sometime soon.